my name is Cheryl, and this is my church. Today I will be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, thanks for coming. Welcome those of you who are over in East Hall at our East service, those of you tuning in online, uh, welcome. And those of you here in the West service. All right, today we uh, kick off a new four-week series. We're calling it our Breathe Out series. Uh, we believe there's a rhythm to, the, to life and a rhythm to the Christian life, like breathing, inhaling, exhaling. When we say breathe in uh, series, we're talking about growing deeper in our understanding of God and what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, how that changes us. When we talk about a breathe out series, we're talking about how those changes then move out into our relationships, into the world to actually change the people around us and the world around us. So this is our, our breathe out series as we head into the summer. And this series is going to be on generosity. Now, usually when somebody thinks about being generous, they think about money and giving, but we're going to do something a little bit different. Here are the four weeks that we're going to be talking about generosity. Today, we talk about being generous with your forgiveness, generous with your forgiveness. Uh, next week, generous with your encouragement, then generous with hospitality, and finally generous with your apologies. And the idea is that this would change something deep down inside of us. And as a group, if we become a little more generous with forgiveness and encouragement, hospitality and apologies, this will be a great place. And when you go out of this place, people will wonder what has happened to you uh, to make you so generous in those areas. And what we want is for this series to be kind of like a, a hearty breakfast that gets you all the way to lunch. We want this series to carry us through the summer. That's why we're calling this the Summer of Generosity. It's why we have a, a lemonade stand in the atrium, just to remind you this is supposed to go all the way through the summer. And our communications team has designed a couple of things to help keep this in front of you. I want to ask you to grab these on the way out so you don't forget. One is this circle. Just put this on your refrigerator, on a window that will just remind you that this is the summer of generosity. Then grab one of these. Uh, there's something to do for every one of the four sermons. And then there's a website that if you uh, experience generosity, either in being the one who is generous with one of these things or someone being generous to you, you can write your story. And we'd love to collect stories all throughout the summer of generosity and what it means. All right? Okay, so today we cover forgiveness. We're going to start with the hardest one. Uh, after this, then encouragement, hospitality, apologies, piece of cake, all right? Uh, this is a very short passage, just two verses, but it leads into uh, a story that Jesus tells. And the story that Jesus tells is about a, a servant of a king who falls into tremendous debt with that king, an enormous debt. The king forgives that servant 
of that debt, the servant goes out and finds a fellow servant who owes him something. It's a fraction of what he owed, but it's not nothing. And so he grabs that guy and he says, pay me what you owe me. And uh, he refuses to forgive that servant. But the whole story and all of this uh, started with a question from Peter. And this is the question, verse 21. It says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? All right. Uh, Jesus always surprises me. I hope Jesus surprises you when you read the Bible. Uh, If he is not surprising you, you may not be reading it right. And this is one of the ways that he surprised me. Like, Jesus is full of love and compassion. You read the Gospels, you know that. Right? He he heals people because he loves them, is compassionate toward them. He feeds people because he has compassion on them. Here, Peter, you know how uh, there are some questions that uh, are not hypothetical? You know, like your teenage son comes home and says, how much trouble would I be in if I got two speeding tickets in a single day, right? Probably not a hypothetical question. I don't think this is a hypothetical question from Peter. I think Peter was hurt. And he uses the word he was sinned against by a brother. That's a deep deep wound. And the thing that surprises me about Jesus is that he doesn't show Peter any compassion. Like he doesn't say, oh, Pete, what happened? What, what'd they do? I mean, can I do something? And it, he, instead, he just gives him this ridiculous answer. No, Pete, 70 times seven. You know, most of us live by the adage you know, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. Right? You hurt me once, that's on you. But if I ever put myself in a position where you can hurt me again, that's on me. But Jesus says 70 times seven. All right, here are the three points that I want to pull out of these two verses. I want to talk about uh, why forgiveness is so hard and important. Both those are tied together. I know it seems like I'm trying to sneak in a fourth point. (laughs) I'm not. All right. Why forgiveness is so hard and so important. How do we forgive and the secret of becoming generous with our forgiveness? All right. First, why forgiveness is so hard and important. I was looking at my, uh, my youngest grandson the other day. Uh, he's not yet two years old. Uh, he's got no baggage yet, right? He hasn't been hurt deeply. No one has made fun of him that he knows of, right? But that's, it's just a matter of time, right? And there's something really sad about that. It's just a matter of time before he, wound, he feels a wound from someone. It's just a matter of time before he wounds someone, all the world, if you are older than two or three years old, you have been hurt and you have hurt. You have been offended and you have offended. And we all know that the world would be so much better with forgiveness. We know that we would be better with forgiveness. So the question is, why is it so hard? 
Now, this is a sermon I, I need you to know. It's a sermon that's uh, for me. As much as for you, you know, some sermons, I'll be honest, are for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> but this one, so I'm going to be sliding back and forth between uh, speaking just about myself and trying to draw you in to what I experienced. But I was trying to think, what is it that makes it so hard for me to forgive people who have hurt me? And part of the thing that I came up with is that it feeds a part of my soul that is always hungry, and it's not a good part of my soul. That holding a grudge feeds a part of me. Uh, there's an author named Frederick Beekner, and I really like him as an author. I, I like everything, almost everything he's ever written. He wrote this book. It's called Wishful Thinking, a theological ABC. It's kind of a whimsical book where he goes through the alphabet and he picks different words, and he just kind of writes a little blurb on it. This is what he writes about anger. He says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways... It's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. When I say that it feeds a part of me uh, that is always hungry, and it's not a good part of me, I mean, it feeds my self-righteousness. I will think to myself, I would never do what they did. I would never treat somebody like that. It feeds my self-pity. It's, I can't believe that they would do this to me. It feeds my self-centeredness. Man, you hurt me deeply enough, I will only think about myself for as long as that pain lasts. Right? That's what makes it so hard to forgive. But the reason it's so important, there are a couple reasons. One, is that if, if there's a continuum of you know, forgiveness, and on, on this side of the continuum is the, the most forgiving being ever, you'd have to put Jesus, right? The most forgiving person ever right here. If you're going to put on the opposite end of this continuum, the most prideful, most self-righteous, most self-pitying, most self-centered being, you'd have to put Satan. Every time I forgive, I'm becoming more like Jesus. Every time I hold on to a grudge and refuse to forgive, I'm becoming more like Satan. You never stay the same. When you are hurt, you only have two options, either to forgive or to not forgive. You are moving on that continuum. That's one reason why it's so important. But the other reason is that forgiveness, both receiving forgiveness and giving forgiveness, they, they run in the, the same artery. They, they run on the same kind of, uh, oh, um, well, I can't think of the, the word, the conduit. Right? And I say that because of the story that, that Jesus tells uh, with this king. The, the way he tells the story is that you know, the servant owes the king an enormous amount of money, and the amount of money that Jesus chooses, you know, in today's dollars would be millions upon millions. We have no idea how he got into that kind of debt. 
And he, the, it says the king had pity on him, forgave him, released him. And that guy goes out and he finds another servant who owes him something. It's not nearly as much, but it is something. And he will not forgive that guy. And we all know, I mean, you can just, you know that guy's a jerk. But Jesus goes on and he says, the king found out. And the king grabbed the servant, had him arrested, the one who he had forgiven, said he didn't forgive him, and threw him in prison and said, until you can pay back the last cent. Then Jesus finishes the story by saying this, so my heavenly father will treat you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You're like, what? Well, what is Jesus saying that if, if we forgive people, then we go to heaven? If we don't forgive people, we go to hell? That can't be what he's saying. Because if that's the way to get to heaven, to be forgiving, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come in the first place and die on a cross and resurrect so that we could be forgiven. What, what's Jesus saying? He's saying that granting forgiveness and grace, receiving forgiveness and grace, they run through the same conduit. And I heard it explained like this. I read this this week. If you have two apple trees side by side in October and one is full of apples and the other has no apples at all, you can safely assume that the one that's full of apples has life and the one that has no apples is diseased or dying. The fruit doesn't give the tree life. The fruit is an indication that the tree has life. So what Jesus is saying is this. There may be no better indication that you have a relationship with God that's based on grace and forgiveness than your willingness to forgive someone. Let me say that again. There may be no better indication that your relationship with God is based on grace and forgiveness than your willingness to forgive someone who has hurt you. That's why it's so hard and so important. So now the question is, how do we forgive? I'm going to get really practical here because I needed to with me. I'm going to talk about uh, a change that happens, that has to happen with your, your eyes, your mouth, and your heart. And for me, it goes in that order. All right, first with your eyes. Um, in the story with the king uh, the, that Jesus tells, he says the king looked on the servant and had pity for him. That word pity is the same word that we translate compassion. And to, get, to have compassion towards someone is to feel what they feel, to kind of put yourself in their place, to identify with them. And I know this about me. Whenever somebody, if somebody hurts me deeply, uh, I don't identify with them at all. I don't think that I'm like them at all. In fact, I, I will kind of, I will reduce them to the hurt that they cause me. And when I say that, this is what I mean. Uh, if you've ever been to like a county fair or uh, to Cedar Point and you're walking by and, and there's an artist there and they're doing caricatures of people, like you sit, they'll do a caricature of you. I never do that, right? Because what they do is they exaggerate one part of you that you probably don't want exaggerated. Like they exaggerate the cowlick that I have in the back of my head that I can't ever do anything with, or my, how deeply set my eyes are, or whatever. That's what I do with somebody who hurts me. Every time I see him, I th I, that's all I think about. It's like, 
All I think is about is that Catholic, what they did to me. I never, I never think, oh, they might be a great husband, a great father, a great friend, a great employee. They just did one thing to me. No, I think, as a jerk. I know what he's like. He's like, you know, and I just think about that. And if you are going to ever forgive anybody who hurts you deeply, you're going to have to change the way you think about them. Paul the Apostle, that might be why he said, he called himself the, the chief of all sinners. What Paul was saying is, I know more about myself than I know about anybody else. So I know more about my sin than I know about your sin. You may have sinned against me, but that's nothing compared to what I have and I'm dealing with inside of myself. Right? So the first thing for me is I need to quit kind of reducing the people who hurt me into caricatures of them. I need to see myself that I could, that I am in need of grace too at times. And then it has to change the way that you talk, right? And this is what I mean by that. Whenever I talk about forgiveness here at the church, I always use the same illustration. I always say, you know, my car is parked out in the parking lot. Let's say you park next to me and you're pulling out today. You cut your wheel a little too sharply. You hit my car and you dent my fender. And I go out there and I say, what happened? And you say, oh, I hit your car. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I say, I forgive you. Uh, that doesn't mean no one pays. It means you don't pay. That means I pay. Right? Someone always pays. Right? So I was trying to think of how does that play itself out in an emotional hurt? Because with a car, that's easy. But when somebody hurts me emotionally, how do I make them pay? Right? Sometimes you can do it straight up. A lot of times this happens in marriages. You know, someone, your spouse hurts you with their words, and so you immediately hurt them back. That's face-to-face, like, they hurt me, I'll make them pay by hurting them back. That's one way. That's not the way I work. Like if one of you hurt me, that's not the way I would work. I wouldn't go face to face with you and try to hurt you back. What I would do is tell the story of how you hurt me to my family, to my friends. I can tell a good story. I would tell the story in such a way, and it wouldn't be hard, that the people I tell it to would just go, are you kidding me? And they would immediately think less of you. That's the way I make you pay. So when I say, this is where I got, where I got it wrong. This has really helped me. Because I used to think, oh, you just forgive all at once, right? But that's not true. It's not been true of me. You know, if I try to forgive somebody all at once, it just, it doesn't work. You forgive sometimes a little bit at a time. It's almost like if the, if the damage you did to my car was so great, I couldn't pay it all at once. I would have to pay it in installments. Every time you refuse to make someone pay by making them look worse, by making someone else agree with you about how bad they are, you are absorbing some of their pain. You're not making them pay. You're paying. And let me tell you, it's hard to not talk about people who have hurt you. But every time you do it, listen, how do you eat an elephant? Eat an elephant one bite at a time. How do you forgive a deep offense? Probably one bite at a time. And it takes time to actually forgive someone. But every time you refuse to make them pay, you're paying little bit by little bit. 
for their offense. And eventually the elephant is gone. Right? Then the heart. And this is what uh, is the last thing. I think um, holding a grudge is a really good image. Like, uh, this is uh, a weight. And it's like uh, when someone hurts me, it's like they throw this at me and I have to catch it. I didn't ask to have this, but I have it now. Right? And I have to put it somewhere. And what God says is, give it to me. Right? He is the only one I can trust to be completely uh, righteous in his judgment of everything. You read the Psalms, and the psalmist is always saying, it's to you. God, I give this to you. You're the one who knows. So you give it to God in your heart, but this is what's true of me. If you're like me, the next morning you wake up and you don't even realize it, but it's back. You got it again. So you have to give it over and over and over again to God. So give it, give it, give it to God. All right? Listen, if you are ever going to really forgive somebody who has hurt you deeply, and my wife, you know, my wife's a counselor, and she had said to me, now, are you, are you going to, there are people who you're talking to who've been hurt so deeply. Are you going to acknowledge that? And I was going, well, obviously I am now. Right? But Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't even ask Peter. What Jesus was doing for Peter was for Peter. Right? So when you're called to forgive, it's not just for them, it's for you. Right? So if you're ever going to forgive somebody who has hurt you deeply, you have to see them in a different way. You have to talk about them in a different way, which probably for most of you, it means for me that I don't talk about them at all. Not the way I want to. And then in my heart, if you're ever going to forgive somebody, you have to give it to God, who is the only one who really knows all that needs to be done and that should be done. And for that, you're going to have to give it and give it and give it. All right. Last thing is, what's the secret of being generous with forgiveness? Um, whenever I think of being generous with forgiveness, I always think of the same story. It's the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Uh, it's my favorite story uh, because this uh, young this son asks his father for his part of the inheritance, which breaks his father's heart. And the son goes to a distant land and, you know, spends it all. And then he, he comes home. And on his way home, he's trying to think, how will my dad respond to me? Uh, I will tell him I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father sees him from a distance and doesn't make him walk all the way. Instead, the father runs to him, wraps his arms around him, and begins to weep and cover him with kisses and said, my son who was dead is alive. My son who was lost has been found. Come rejoice with me. He throws a huge party. That's generous with forgiveness. How do we become that? Listen, this is true. To be generous with anything starts with a lot of something. Say that again. If you're going to be generous with any, anything, you have to start with a lot of something. Like, if you're going to be generous with shoes, let's say, you, you need to have a lot of shoes. Like, if you only have four pairs of shoes, you can want to be generous with shoes, but you can only give away four pairs before you're barefoot. And I was thinking about shoes, and I was thinking about Imelda Marcos, who was the first lady of the Philippines. 
And if you were alive at that time, you know, you know that she was famous for having 3,000 pairs of shoes. This is part of her closet, right? So if Imelda Marcos ever wanted to be generous with shoes, she had a ton of shoes she could be generous with. If you are a follower of Jesus, let me tell you what you have a lot of. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, being Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What Paul says is the one thing. You may not have a lot of anything else, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a lot of grace. The riches of his grace lavished on you. This is true. There is not a human being in the world that has more grace lavished on them than I do. I have more than anybody, or at least as much. You do too, if you're a follower of Jesus. Listen, I don't know how Amelda Marcos started her day, but if she started by sitting in the midst of her closet and looking at all her shoes, every day she would know, if I want to, I could be generous with shoes because I have a ton. You want to be generous with your forgiveness? Start every day. Sitting in the midst of the grace that God has shown you through Jesus. He has lavished it on you. Listen, if anybody in the world needs grace and you are a follower of Jesus and they come to you, if anybody in the world needs forgiveness and they come to you, they've come to the right person. They've come to the right person. Forgiveness is hard. When you don't forgive, you're feeding a part of you you do not want to feed. How you forgive, it's going to take your eyes, how you see, how you speak, and your heart, where you put that grudge. If you want to be generous with your forgiveness, then remind yourself that Jesus lavishes his riches on you. And no one has more grace than you do. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, uh, I guess I want to start by saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have been stingy sometimes with grace and forgiveness. I have no excuse for that. Uh, You are one that uh, has lavished your grace on me through your son Jesus I pray for every person here. I know, I know there are deep wounds out there, but I also know that you deeply want to heal those wounds and it's grace, it's grace that they need. I pray that you would remind us that your grace is greater than all of our sin and all of the sin that people have sinned against us with. Your grace is greater. Thank you. Thanks for your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.